This is Guy Gourdin with Supply Chain Radio. We are here today talking to the esteemed Victoria from IDC. We are absolutely pleased and honored that you join us today, Victoria. So welcome. Thanks for having me, Guy. Victoria, since, since many of our listeners know who you are, but probably haven't heard you on this podcast, why don't you give us a quick intro on, on who you are, who you work for, and, and, and what you do, and, and what's your role in this great world of supply chain? Sure. Thanks for having me once again. My name is Victoria Brown, and I am a research manager at IDC, International Data Corporation. Within IDC, my ownership is supply chain execution. So that's everything from warehousing to transportation, order management. Anytime inventory is moving, that's what I'm talking about. Been with IDC almost four years now. Prior to that, I came from the front lines as an ops manager for Frito-Lay North America. Steel toe boots, uh, hair net, you know, back on the front lines. So definitely lived much of this and really excited to share with everyone what's happening around the market as a whole. Cool. Victoria, that's awesome. Did you... uh you miss the days of being a Frito-Lay in that hairnet, or was that long gone and you've moved on? I miss eating potato chips, like, all the time, <laughs> which definitely had its ups and downs, but you can never complain when you have a bag of chips in your hands. True words have never been spoken <laughs> on this show, that's for sure. Well, great, Victoria, that's awesome. That's, thanks for the background. One of the questions our, our listeners are always interested in, especially when we have someone like yourself uh, on the show, is just what are you seeing today in the market? C- can you give us sort of your your top three themes that you're seeing today. I mean, you obviously are, are attend a lot of these events and, and you obviously are the front line of, of sort of the knowledge industry when it comes to supply chain. So what are the top three things you're seeing today? So I guess to answer that, it depends on where you sit in the market. If you are a retailer versus a manufacturer or depending on what industry you sit in, it varies, right? So one of the big things we're seeing that's relevant to both retail and manufacturing is around this customization or this single unit movement, right? So there's a lot of movement in this this area that is how do we create the consumer, what they want, when they want it, and how they want it. And so, you know, for years past, everyone relied on SMED, you know, single minute exchange of dye, changing things at the last moment. But we're getting to a point now where the customer's expectations have just accelerated at such a rate that that's just not possible to scale that in such a way to meet those customized needs. So that's one area that has come up quite a bit, how do we move those single item orders? And then after that, it creates all sorts of complexity. If you rewind even five years ago, supply chain was heavily a push system. It was pallets going to a major distribution node that then got sent out to stores or fulfillment. And and today, that's just not anymore with e-commerce and the rise. That is just not a scalable solution anymore. And we're seeing a lot more LTL, parcel level translation So that's just changing the way we work, and that has further implications when you think about it. If you're moving from push to pull with single parcels, you know, now we have more handling with labor. You have an increased pressure on the market, just the volume that moves through that, which we've seen driver shortages that have amounted from that. We've seen shifts in the way we warehouse items and renting warehouse space or just having to completely redesign the way you use your warehouse if you need to have a modular pick system versus having just flat racking or or flow through gravity feed. So it's changing everything from technology to actual infrastructure and the way your buildings are built. It's just they're every domino, it's you know, the history of supply chain is if you fix one bottleneck, you create another, and that is no different in what we're seeing today. And that's all coming from this notion of customization. So is it safe to say then, Victoria, that that is really being driven by you and I and everybody else in this room right now as consumers, like the consumers are 
we as consumers are kind of screwing up we as professionals. That's one way to look at it that I haven't quite thought of in the past, but if you do think about it, there is this expectation now that I can get what I want when I want it. And I, I don't know that it's any one source. You know, some people say that's from Amazon saying you, you can get anything in two days. Some people are saying that that's from this generation that's coming up right now and people telling them they're unique and different and so they want unique and different. I mean, I don't think that it's any one thing. I think that we as consumers have reached out in so many different ways that there is no one straight answer, but that is a really funny way to look at it. And I laugh because I always try and relate any any instances back to you know personal scenarios that I've experienced or that my you know circle um, in my immediate close friends and family have have experienced. That is actually very true. I always tease them like, if you keep messing that up, you're going to give me some job security. So <laughs> right. I'm not going to complain. Um, so yeah, so it keeps it interesting and fun. So okay, so we talk about the customer and, and and you know you you gave us really a great list of a, a lot of aspects that are changing the supply chain. You talked about everything from the physical aspects to warehousing, how warehouses are built. You talked about transportation, so going to LTL and other aspects. Is there anything that goes back to the manufacturing? Are, we lo- are you looking at manufacturing where you know, manufacturers have to be more savvy to, to produce sort of mass customization at, at the point of one so that if Victoria wants you know, a certain product a certain way, then Procter & Gamble or Unilever or whomever will have to produce that for you? off the same assembly line that they can produce you know, all their stuff for Star Market. So if I understand the question correctly, you know, you're pretty much asking like, what are the impacts to manufacturers? Yeah, like uh, we talk, you talked about warehousing, transportation, all stuff that I get, but we look at the other part of execution, it's manufacturing and even suppliers. You know, are they feeling the same impact? They are in that there has been more pressure for postponement. So, you know, I mentioned SMET earlier. And for some, yes, that's possible. I can, you know, create a sweater and then not dye it until the last step in case there's a swing in interest of what color is in the market. Or, you know, some celebrity gets on stage and says, hey, I really enjoy this item. And then the manufacturer can shift to creating that other item, whatever it might be. There is a pressure for postponement. But the reality is, is that single piece customization, you know, when you think about something like someone gets a monogram on their sweatshirt or whatever it might be, that is not necessarily as scalable because you can't just always say, we're going to just wait until someone might want it. And that creates also an inventory bullwhip that you're sitting on inventory that you expect will be postponed or needed. And then manufacturers are sitting there saying, hey, we have this capacity. We're not, we're not running the machines. We're not actually producing. Or, hey, we need to do a changeover every time you say we have this customization. So it has further impacts not only on just the actual delivery and meeting customer expectations, but then on your actual factory itself. If they can't have a quick changeover or the complexities that happen with sourcing those materials. I mean, lead times in and of themselves can create bullwhips that just drive your business crazy. So yes, manufacture, the long and short of it is manufacturers are impacted on primarily in the postponement sector, as well in capacity planning for labor, machinery, downtime and uptime and changeovers. It impacts the whole business in all areas. In all areas. You just mentioned something which I want to just, you know, pull out a little bit more and talk about. You you mentioned just now in terms of the manufacturing side, labor issues. Earlier you mentioned, I think, in the transportation side, we're seeing a shortage in labor. Do you see that? Do you see labor as going to be sort of uh, the next big challenge for supply chains? And where in particular in the supply chains is labor the biggest challenge? Yeah, so I'm going to give you guys a little bit of sneak preview. Ooh, sneak so, previews. Ooh, sneak preview. Um, so we need like special music for that to say, <laughs> here comes a sneak preview. But all right, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt anymore. Um, so uh, every year, right around Halloween time, so late October, early November, 
IDC launches our Futurescapes, which is our predictions of what is going to change based on what we're seeing happen in the market. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a sneak preview. I awesome. don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but um, we will be talking about reskilling this year. So how do we reskill the existing workforce that we have to give them the capabilities to be successful in the supply chain of tomorrow, right? So today, you know, they could be on the front lines handling operation machinery, they could be a material handler driving a forklift, or they could be running the robots or monitoring the cranes. And yes, automation is gonna continue, however, you're going to see a reskilling. We're looking at programs with this driver shortage. Hey, how can we take maybe veterans who are coming back who've been driving Humvees who already have half the skill set needed to get to that CDL or their air brake certification or whatever they might need to be a successful truck driver? And how do we take them and give them these skills to then help contribute and close some of this gap. We're also seeing in the manufacturing force, if we're having these frontline operators who need that more mechanical skill set, but maybe previously they were a packer or, and now that packing position has been automated more so. So how do we give them the skills to be a machine operator that can verify that everything is stamped correctly, processed correctly, coming off the line? you know, the more visual quality aspect or the hands-on operation. So we will see a reskilling. We'll be talking about that more in depth, but it is, it's a huge shift, especially when you look at some of the workforce that maybe hasn't had to get highly technical in the past or that just hasn't been a priority for organizations. So interesting, so, so that's awesome. Appreciate that you, you gave our listeners a sneak preview of this whole notion of reskilling that you guys are seeing, but let me push that a little bit further. So you're talking about reskilling, which is taking an existing workforce and you know teaching them new skills, readapting. Uh, are you seeing any movements in the sense of training the workforce that is entering the workforce? Right. So, high school kids, college kids, graduate students. I've even heard at some programs, you know, they are looking at how do we go down to like middle school and grade school and start teaching them supply chain, which I think is awesome. But are you guys seeing some of that where is there, it's not just the rescaling, but it's also, hey, instead of just teaching, you know, art and music and accounting and math and physics, we have to teach them something around supply chain or, you know, manufacturing or things like that down at that entry level side. Yeah, that's a, actually a really um, funny that you asked me that question. So we're here at CSCMP hanging out. So I actually sit on the Young Professionals Board here at CSCMP and the whole mission of the Young Professionals Board is to continue to foster and grow the amount of young professionals coming into supply chain as a profession because many of us fell into it by accident. I know I fell into it by accident, not ever intending to end up in supply chain, but now that I'm here, I love it. But how do we get in front of those students who are maybe coming out of a program or maybe we get in front of folks who didn't choose to go the traditional four-year route and maybe they're in a trade program or they're in a two-year program or maybe they're just out of high school and trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives. So we've had a lot of conversations here at the conference around how do you do that. For my own personal experience, my alma mater, I'm going to give a quick shout out Please to do. Uh, Worcester Polytech in Worcester, Whoopie Massachusetts. Whoopi Tech. We actually, in our program, every undergraduate student must complete a thesis project that is a hands-on project with a company solving a problem. So they are actually out in the workforce, working with manufacturers, working with supply chains, with anyone in the front lines, trying to solve a problem, right? So they are getting hands-on life experience while they're still in school so that by the time they've graduated, they have something to say, look, I took a problem, I broke it down and solved it, and then this was the result so that they can go into those employment opportunities and say, I can solve problems. I can look at the supply chain and fix it. Now you talk about middle school and high school, they're also doing outreach. They have a K through 12 program where they're bringing in middle school and high school students to show them that you know, supply chain is cool. Supply chain is 
really, really important right now and how to make that further. Being a female in this field, where we tend to be underrepresented, they also have a program called Geek is Glam, and it's oriented at middle school girls and to get them into science and tech. And if you look at the statistics, 50% of women who go into tech had one parent in tech. And so, you know, how do we break through that? How do we get those women who are not exposed to tech as a young student interested? And so we've, you know, WPI goes back and they look at how do we, how do we show things that are really cool, but that are tech? And then how do we get women who are interested? So kind of a neat program. Obviously, that's not going to save the world in the immediate future. Uh, but it's a small to, step. And it's it a, is it's, a small it's step. A, it sounds like it's a really good program for, and a great shout out for Worcester Polytech. That's really awesome the way that, that you described it, where it's really giving these kids hands-on training to understand what supply chain means, understand the importance of it, and get them into that space. So that's fantastic. So let me ask you another question about, you know, sort of, uh, let's move away from the skill, skill shortage into some of these, this consumerization. Do you see the consumerization impacting B2B as much as B2C, or is there still sort of a lag where obviously front-facing retailers are obviously facing the brunt because they deal with us as consumers. But hey, the guy's making airplane engines, you know what? No one expects me, I'm Boeing, I'm not gonna make an airplane engine that's exactly the way for this one plane that Airbus is gonna build. So I guess there's a couple ways to look at this. Yes, you're correct, B2C is the most prevalent and the most visible problem that they're addressing, but it affects B2B because think about the suppliers. If they have to deal with this postponement, this waiting for information, the bullwhips that it creates, just they ripple down the line. And so now your example in Boeing in an airplane, so that's obviously not consumer facing. That's more, that's, you know, industrial. industrial. Yeah. When we're looking at industrial, there's different problems, right? So it gets away from that consumer expectation, but it's what the, the biggest thing I've been facing lately is on geospatial traceability. So consumers now, th this actually goes back to what you're talking about. Do we as consumers mess up ourselves? We as us as professionals. Now, we as professionals now have a new expectation that what we're looking for, our demands, our expectations should be met soon and quick and fast. And so now we've put this pressure on our suppliers. Well, hey, I ordered this, you know, this level of supply. Right. Exactly. And I want it in soon because I need to go into production. And so there's a whole different level of complexity that's not just, hey, each is now. We're still wanting those large orders, full container levels, full full trailer levels. But it's now, well, I wanted it yesterday. Right. And that's Why not didn't you get it to me? Exactly. And lead time. So geospatial traceability has come up huge. It's where is my product? Can you tell me where my product is en route to me? Did something get in the way? Did it hit traffic? Did it hit a storm? Did something happen to my trailer? Did it stop at customs? And so we have higher expectations on knowing where our goods are based on what we as consumers are now experiencing. Right. So it's a ripple effect. Got it. Makes perfect sense. All right. Last question for you. This is going to be a fun one, I hope. Five years out from now, maybe 10, I'll give you whatever range you want. What is the biggest thing that's happening in supply chain five, 10 years from now that is not happening today? I know I put you on the spot, but this is your time to just go crazy with it. Oh, boy. Well, I can't ruin our predictions. Oh, that, so, well, you could give us a little, maybe a little um, nugget of your predictions. I already gave you the reskilling. That's true. You did give me one. <laughs> I'm, I'm being greedy here. So, so I'm just going to leave it as a, a cliffhanger um, on this one. So every year, as I mentioned, we do our future scapes. We talk about what is happening now that's going to impact us today, tomorrow, and down the road. So we usually project out about one year, three years, and five years. And... There's a lot of moving parts. So I'll leave it at this. The big hot topics this year, yep. 
reskilling we mentioned. Yep, love it. We talk about automation increases. Yep. And what that means for the workforce, what that means for productivity. It has a lot of dominoes, so definitely check that out. And the other one is track and trace. So it's not even just track and trace, but the visibility, how do you relate that into information for consumers? How do you relate that into information for your suppliers and, and everyone in your up and downstream supply chain? There's a lot of dominoes that are going to go into it, but definitely check it out. When that goes live, those webinars will be free to access. So anyone who checks out IDC.com and searches for supply chain predictions, you'll be able to find that webinar. So that's my shameless plug. Well, no, I was, you know <laughs> what? You, you jumped again on that, Victoria, but I appreciate it. I, again, thank you so much for sitting down with us here on Supply Chain Radio. This is awesome. How do people find you? How do they reach you if they want more information? Check me out on LinkedIn. My name is Victoria Brown, common spelling. And just search. I work for IDC. So that should be hopefully get you to me on LinkedIn. And then you can follow me on Twitter, VJA Brown. And um, yeah, that's the, the big top two. Cool. And then you just mentioned, I'll let you give you another plug on IDC. So you said there's a couple of webinars coming up on these predictions. How do people find those? Just as you said, can you repeat it again for our listeners? Yep. So if you just go to IDC.com and you can just search for supply chain predictions or supply chain futurescape, futurescape being one word, you should be able to find at least the document and then the webinar will be accessible right around just after Halloween time. So probably just before Thanksgiving. Great. So I was going to ask you that question too, as you answer that. So you guys know where to find it. Victoria, again, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on the show. We expect you now to be a regular participant on oh Supply Chain Radio. <laughs> so again, this is Guy, Victoria, thanks so much. Thank you for having me.